Tuesday Night Mystery Club. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club. This is a quick interrupt from future Caitlin to say that this episode was originally recorded with two different Eric's, Eric Wong and Eric Gemne. Unfortunately, when downloading the audios, the audio for Eric Wong did not save uh, from the program I use, Zencaster. So this episode only includes the audio for myself and Eric Gemne. Uh, for that reason, it does sound a little strange at times. I have tried to correct for correct for it, uh, but you will notice at times uh, that it sounds like, huh, someone else, someone else seems like they might have been talking at this point, and, and the other two are responding in turn. So if you hear that, know that there used to be other audio, uh, and it is gone, unfortunately. I hope you're still able to enjoy the show, as this is a great episode. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club, a show where I tell guests a mystery story and they try and guess the solutions. I am your host, Caitlin McCluskey, and today I am joined by Eric and Eric. Eric, bleep, and Eric bleep. hello. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, I thought that was going to be like a, a running thing. Oh, you weren't going to know who'd get introduced first. So. I'm, I'm... You know? I can cut yeah, it out. I'm I was just, just reading your wait, videos. The, are we allowed uh, to swear on right I thought that was... I'll are, cut are it if you... That out? I'll edit it out if you swear. Okay. <laughs> Do you want me to introduce you again? Well, I'll cut yeah. out the, but I'm not, I'm not going to bleep it. I will literally just cut the, cut the audio out. I find the bleep funnier. Can you like put a bleep in, even if I don't swear at a funny time? I think that'd be great. <laughs> Maybe bleep our last name so that you won't know who was actually introduced first. And then I think that's, yeah. Genius. Okay. Yeah. Eric, can you do a bleep sample? I will use that. Bleep. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, so at the at the end of the episode, we'll decide on an order. Is that the deal? I think so. Coin flip. Okay, Coin so flip. you have to stay tuned to find out whose names. Well, actually, no. They'll they'll know in the when they read the podcast description who came first. Oh. Um, foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, Eric Wong, you've been on the show a couple of times. So we'll Ooh. see. We'll see what happens now if uh, if that brings you up to X percentage or Y percentage down. I'm not doing the math. I know it's easy, but uh, it's a weekend, so I don't do work. <laughs> That's true. Did you only agree to come on the show with a with a partner for that reason? That's what he he texted me. He's like, I I need some backup on this one. <laughs> I'm I'm freaking out. I might lose it. I might lose the fifty percent streak, <laughs> and then here I am. I'm untested, no. so uh, yeah, this in is... a way, I've never failed at getting <laughs> a murderer. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah, Eric Gemini, this is your first time on. Um, are you excited? Yeah, I'm. I'm excited, ready to to solve this mystery Good. on this Tuesday night. <laughs> but uh, I like it when they say the name of the show. And then... <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, when there are, when we're when someone's listening, it's Tuesday night somewhere. I did. Uh, I picked a good story for you guys. I'm excited about this one. This was the first Agatha Christie I ever read myself. In I'm gonna say middle school, but I could be wrong on the timeline. But uh, this was my introduction to Agatha Christie, and it's what got me hooked. 
and it is also one of her most her top, let's say her top 10 famous uh, famous stories so people like this one the story is called the murder of roger Ackroyd, and it was published in 1926 so it's kind of like one of her first her first wave of books in the 20s um and it is a hercule poirot mystery so um Eric Wong is familiar with Hercule Poirot because your first first episode had him. What about the second one? I can't remember. Was that a ninth, Christy? So, <laughs> yeah, that one was made. Well, not unfair, but that one, you know, yeah, it had a trick. Some of the short stories are like that. <laughs> Some might. <laughs> uh, Eric Gaunet, Hercule Poirot is one of Agatha Christie's more famous detectives. Um, he is described as... A, he's a Belgian gentleman. He was a detective in the Belgian police force in his younger years and then came to England to become a private detective. And he's uh, described as having an egg-shaped head and um, giant mustaches that he... Multiple mustaches. Wow. It, mu- mustaches is plural because I think you have a mustache and then the other one, I think. But it's it's always plural. Oh. I don't know why. Actually, I take it back. I don't know. Huh. So then with the correct thing, when someone like goes to the barber and they trim their mustache and someone says, that's a nice mustache, you're actually like, which one? Would that be correct? Yeah, I think legitimately okay, that's that good would to be know. correct. <laughs> Not a joke, just facts. <laughs> that, I take it back. I think I'm wrong about the mustaches, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's I'm a French thing. I'm still going to believe it's right. Um, <laughs> it's right in my heart, which is what really matters. Okay. Well, well in any case, his mustache, last mustache is mustaches are beautiful in his mind and um a little distracting is maybe a nice way of putting it to everyone else around him who who thinks he's pretentious um yeah yeah mustached yeah, yeah. hard to think of adjectives <laughs> to describe a mustache in hindsight so that's Harry. that's uh that's he'll be introduced later in the story but this is it's one of I don't know, this this detective's um, mysteries. Are you guys ready to get started? Yeah, okay. let's do this. Great. So we start the story with Dr. James Shepard, and he's just arrived home from an early morning call where he found a woman named Mrs. Ferrars dead. And um, his sister Caroline is like a huge gossip in town. She is, sorry, excuse me, her brother... Dr. Shepard thinks she's the biggest gossip, but that could probably be argued in town of like, there are just a lot of gossips. So uh, a lot going around and they have like their, you know, highway of information. So by the time, by the time he gets home from this call to, to see to this, this dead woman, she already knows who's dead and she knows how, because the maid came in and then the milkman told her some more information like that kind of thing. So she, she wants to know all of the details and Shepard is trying to like withhold stuff because he doesn't want to be like part of the gossip. He doesn't want to like, he's trying to keep some patient confidentiality, I guess. And Caroline's able to get out of him that he agrees that he thinks it's suicide, but there, there was no note. So they're not convinced it could have just been an accidental overdose, but it was, she overdosed on sleeping medication, sleeping, sleeping drug or whatever. So Caroline, the sister, thinks that Mrs. Ferrars had a guilty conscience because mm-hmm. her husband had died a year ago. And for like the last six months, all of the women in town or like the gossips in town have thought that 
Miss, Mrs. Ferrars killed her own husband. So they think she's she had been acting strangely. This is just, this was suicide for a guilty conscience. And the doctor's kind of trying to be like, you don't know that. Like, I, I tended to Mr. Ferrars when he died, and I'm telling you, I don't think it was murder as the doctor. But Caroline's basically like, you have no imagination. What do you know? <laughs> do we know how her husband died? Or is that told? Uh, is there anything suspicious with the details of his passing? We don't know. It's not a big part of the story because it happened a year ago. Um, so we don't really get too much information about it, but we will kind of... It's it, it sounds like it wasn't suspicious at first, and then something shifted in the in the community so that six months after the death, people started to go, wait a second. So I think it was she started acting differently. And we'll also find out that she... There's like two big houses in town, like the two rich people in town were Mrs. Frars and her husband originally. And then there's another family called the, like the Ackroyd family family. So Roger Ackroyd, the, the title of the story. And um, there's rumors going around that Roger Ackroyd wants to marry Mrs. Frars. And so that I think is tying into it of like this, like love idea that makes people think, oh, if she wants to marry this guy, she had to get rid of her husband to do it. So that's mm. kind of, that's where that's stemming from. Oh, and the 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 drug, in case you're wondering, this isn't too important. Maybe it would have had meant more at the time, like in the 1920s. The drug was Varanol. Varanol. Mm. <laughs> it's all coming together. Right. So, and I think it was, again, I think it was a sleeping sleeping drug. And so she had been prescribed it and then taken an overdose. Either she took it on purpose by accident uh I think they've ruled out murder, but I guess they could keep it in. So Shepard then goes into the town to gossip himself, it sounds like. And he starts kind of talking. (laughs) I think it's kind of just like the whole small town vibe is like you're you can't be you can't be without it. Everyone has to do it because what else is there to do? Need the goss. Yeah, I feel it. I that's part of what I live for. I won't I won't uh, I won't lie. (laughs) Uh, that's that's why I'm loving TikTok so much right now, is just watching people's stories. That's, where the, story that's where all the hot gossip is. I think so. Like it's not gossip to do with my life, but it's other, other family gossip. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the with the pandemic, there's so little going on in my life that I'm I'm taking Starting to, to supplement the with the <laughs> external gossip. Yeah, yeah that's another way to generate gossip. I think I would become the guilty party. I don't know if I could handle it. Everyone would know. I don't. I wouldn't handle it very well. <laughs> Anyways, Shepard's gone into town and he's explaining this connection between Frars and Roger Ackroyd. And he's kind of going into that Roger Ackroyd had mar- married, years ago, had married a widower who had a son. And so he, he had kind of gotten this stepson called um, Ralph Patton. And then I think four years after they had been married, the wife had died uh, of alcohol. I'm going to say alcoholism, but from whatever the ties are with with drinking alcohol. And so he had raised his stepson. And he's a young guy. He's maybe like in his mid-20s and he's terrible with money. No, Roger's Roger's older. um, His stepson, Ralph Patton. Yeah. Ralph, terrible with money, spends it, doesn't have his own job because his 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 
stepfather, Roger, is super well off, like one of those like big business moguls. I think um, Shepard says the rumor is, is that he made he made wagon wheels. So he's a big deal, basically. Like the pasta or like the <laughs> the cart? Component. Both I mean, <laughs> pivotal to modern society. They don't, they don't specify. Yeah, you know the pasta that's shaped like wagon wheels? <laughs> I didn't even that's that's what I that. thought. Ah. They don't specify, so it really could have been. <laughs> so that's that's so that's Ralph Patton. And then there's also living in the house is Mrs. Cecil Aykroyd. So she is um, Roger's sister-in-law. Roger had a younger brother, Cecil. He had died and left his widow, Mrs. Aykroyd. I don't know if she has a first name. It's not important. I'm just going to call her Mrs. Aykroyd. And then her daughter, so Roger's niece, Flora. Flora Aykroyd. Um, okay. And these are the Aykroyds. So we got yeah. Roger, mm-hmm. kind of head of the family, wagon mm-hmm. wheel tycoon. Yep. Then uh, Ralph Patton, his stepson. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then on a different side of the family, we have... Cecil or Mrs. Cecil Aykroyd. Yep. And Miss Laura Aykroyd. Yeah. So um, Mrs. Aykroyd, the mother of Flora, she's uh, Roger's younger brother's widow. So she had married Roger's younger brother and then he had died and she's now been left a widow. And so he's living with Roger Aykroyd because that's like a, you know, thing of the day. Women totally can't live on their own because they can't make money because they can't work. The wagon wheels are heavy. Like it's... The times back then. Just facts. Just... What are you going to do? Um, and so I can't remember if this is announced now, but it's not too important when. Um, there's been a lot of rumors around town that Flora and her technically cousin Ralph are going to get married. But like, remember, they're not blood related in any way. So it's like totally cool. Uh, right. So there's rumors that they're engaged. And I think at this point, Shepard is like on this day, Shepard's and uh, not, she- sorry, not Shepard. Roger Ackroyd is announcing the engagement. So it's like finally official. Ah, okay. Yeah. And uh, so Shepard is thinking about all of this and he's thinking how he had just seen Ralph was, uh, he was talking to Mrs. Ferrars the day before, the woman who's just died. And he thought that was interesting because Ralph is normally in town. He's not normally up, up at the, the country house, I'm going to call it like that's not what it is, but he's not normally in this small town. And um, he's thinking about all that when he runs into Roger Ackroyd, who uh, invites Shepard to dinner that evening because he has been hit badly by it all. So again, there's like these ties that Roger Ackroyd wanted to marry Mrs. Ferrars. So the fact that she's now dead, of course, like he's very involved, upset about all of this. So... Uh, Shepard heads home and in between then and dinner he sees all his surgery patients so people would come in who either had appointments during the day or just dropping into his surgery as he is a doctor and his last appointment is Miss Russell who is the what did I call her in the character list housekeeper yeah okay so she's the housekeeper at the Ackroyd household and she's come in seemingly she says she has a hurt like her knees been hurting her it's been acting up and so I think Shepard prescribes some kind of pain medication, but then it seems she gets to the root of her visit. And so um, Shepard had thought maybe she was coming because she wanted information about Mrs. Ferrars. And it kind of seems like that at first because she starts to ask about drugs, but she does not focus on Veronal at all. She's asking about, about cocaine and kind of what 
kind of like, is there anything to be done about people who are taking cocaine? Like, or like, how does it affect people in that kind of sense? Is this in Coca-Cola? Um, uh, or perhaps like how frowned upon would it be for someone to. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to go on a limb and say cocaine was fine back then. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it's at, at this pant. So at this point, it's been it's if this is this book is published in 1926. She's pretty much writing these books like once uh, once a year. So she would have written it recently. Cocaine's probably been banned at this point. Um, so he finds it weird she's asking about that, but he, no matter whatever, she leaves, and she never asks anything directly about Mrs. Ferrars, and it, it doesn't seem like that was her purpose. That's not what he's getting from this. So Sister Caroline, she's happy Shepherd is dining at um, Fernley is the name of the Ackroyd's house. That's what I'll call it throughout, Fernley. And Caroline wants to hear all about it because, again, she's she she wants to know about kind of the death and how that's going. But more so importantly, she wants to know what the trouble with Ralph is because she's heard from her network of information that Ralph, the stepson, is staying at the local inn that's called the Three Boars. He's not staying at his his stepfather's house, which he normally would if he was in town. And it sounds like Roger Ackroyd doesn't even know that his stepson is in town. So there's something going on there. That's interesting. Hmm. I feel like cocaine may be involved. (laughs) It's that there is some talk because again, everyone's talking. The barmaids had said that um, Ralph had left the night before with a girl that they didn't recognize. Oh, Mm -hmm. So, unclear, unclear what's going on there. So, Shepard goes out to, um, to his garden. He's, uh, he, he, that's, he says it's one of his hobbies, when all of a sudden a vegetable morrow flies over the hedge. And that's, I think, like a zucchini type, type, oh, type vegetable. Okay. And this is Shepard. Yeah, Shepard's in his garden over the but hedge. Does he grow? Oh, so this is like a, a foreign zucchini. This isn't. It's, it seems like, yeah, it's coming from his neighbor. And mm. they've been talking about how their neighbor, the neighbor's kind of like recently moved in and no one knows anything about him. And he thinks Shepard has made the guess that he's a hairdresser because his mustache is so impressive. If you oh. catch my drift. Mm. <laughs> so uh, as, as, the, as the zucchini vegetable morrow flies over the hedge, he gets to meet his new neighbor who pops his head over the hedge and goes, I'm so sorry. He's very apologetic and says that... Uh, Growing the perfect vegetable morrow had always been his goal in life. And when he retired from his profession, which he doesn't tell Shepard, he's again, he's like, you know, he's in, in disguise, kind of, not really. Um, and he has talked about this in past books. Like if you've read, if as I have, and some people have read a lot of Agatha Christie, uh, Hercule Poirot is always talking about how his passion is to grow the perfect vegetable morrow. So he's telling Shepard that that has been his goal in life, but now that he's actually doing it, he just craves the busy days. Like he craves work again. Hmm. Um, so I think throwing throwing over this vegetable morrow, maybe that was the purpose, but it kind of feels like he just wanted an excuse to talk to Shepard. Or that's that's my take. It could be like the perfect vegetable morrow. Like you got to consider the aerodynamics of it. So this was like, <laughs> you know, a practical purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Poirot does end up giving him one of the best of his vegetable morrows from the mm. from the cultivation. I guess that's just a common thing to do back in the days. 
grow a vegetable marrow? <laughs> I, I don't, I think it's a thing in England. Like I've never oh. heard of it, but it, I don't know. I don't know. I think people, that, I don't know. I'm not British. I, I have a strong, I just have this feeling that vegetable marrow is heavily involved. <laughs> is there any more details about the, the marrow, no. the vegetable marrow that you could, it'd probably give it away a good point. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I can't tell you anymore. Okay. So, so Poirot has been explaining kind of his life goals and Shepard says he totally understands. He'd gotten a legacy a year or two back and he had basically, he'd wanted to go traveling, but couldn't like force himself to do it because he likes, he likes the, the slow life, the doctor life so much. The moral life. <laughs> yeah. So Shepard goes back inside to his sister, Caroline, who is getting back from a walk. And Caroline says that she had, um, she'd been in the forest outside of town when she'd overheard Ralph Patton and another woman. And of course, like, she didn't mean to eavesdrop. She just was there. And how can you, like, not overhear what's going on and, you know, stay and wait a little bit? <laughs> and so she says that um, Ralph had been talking with this girl uh, and kind of saying that Ac- his, his father, Roger Ackroyd, is nearly ready to cut him off, but he's going to handle it. He'll handle it. He'll handle it. And so she didn't hear the woman's voice and didn't hear what the woman had said. Um, and then uh, uh, Caroline said she stepped on a twig and they they knew she was there and they went away. Yeah. Yeah. Why'd she move at all? I think she was trying to get closer to hear the woman's voice. Yeah. The twigs. <laughs> Classic blunder. Yeah. So she she messes that up. She's pretty upset about uh, but we, we get that tidbit and then Shepard goes off to, um, the three boars to kind of offer Ralph Patton some advice. Uh, he's known, he's like grown up with the boy. Yes, Eric. So do we have reason to believe this isn't Ralph's fiance that he's talking to? Like this is a, a new character or. We, she didn't hear or see this person. So she's not sure. There was just a woman. Okay. There, yeah. So let's say they were like behind a hedge, so she couldn't see them. She could only hear their voices, and but she couldn't hear the woman's voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a lot going on in this wood. Yeah, back in those days, lots of gossip about. <laughs> the... uh, yeah. So it, it could it could be Flora. It could be it could be the woman he's engaged to, but it, unclear. It could also be someone else. Like they're they just not they can't confirm. So, so Shepard gets to the three boars, he finds Ralph there and they're kind of chatting and, um, he's, he's off, he's not offering advice. He's kind of saying like, do you need help? And Ralph basically tells him, um, that yeah, he's kind of in a pickle, but he needs to play a lone hand. He needs to handle this on his own. So that, that's that. Um, so no more, no new information. So at 7.30, Parker lets Shepard into Fernley, into the Ackroyd's house for dinner and he directs him to... Oh yeah, sorry. Parker is the butler for the uh for the Ackroyd household. So he he's the one who opens the door to Shepard when Shepard arrives at the house, lets him in, and directs him to the drawing room where he'll wait until dinner is ready. And that's where everyone else is going to come down. They'll all meet in the drawing room, and then they'll all go to the dining room together because it's you know big house, fancy, whatever. So he heads over to the drawing room, and as he goes to kind of enter, he hears what sounds like a window shutting. And it, then he, as he opens the door, he nearly collides with the housekeeper, Miss Russell. And Miss Russell makes a point of saying that she was just checking the flowers and then she leaves. 
I think Shepard is intrigued because the windows are French doors, so it couldn't have been a window shutting. And so he's just because he's alone and he's just waiting for other people. He looks around and he figures out that it's a glass um, curio case that holds like curio, um, like um, uh, antiques, little tidbits of things. There's a okay. there's a <laughs> <laughs> ah yes, where you often store fine china. Yeah. And other antiques. Yeah. <laughs> I think they say at one point that there's a baby's shoe that is supposed to be one of the Prince of England's from decades, centuries ago, whatever. Yeah. So things you'd want to show off in a, this glass case table, whatever. Um, so he fi- figures out just by testing it that if you shut that lid, it sounds, that's the sound that he heard. He just just notes that as strange. And then Flora and Mrs. Ackroyd come into the room. They've come down for dinner. And they both, in turn, are just super excited about this this engagement that's just been announced today. Uh, Flora's engagement to Ralph. Then Major Blunt comes in. So Major Blunt is a new character. He is a old friend of... Oh, gosh. <laughs> He's a... Are giggling on video. <laughs> He's an old friend of Roger Ackroyd's and he he's like a big game hunter. Like he hunts animals in Africa. So he's not a great person. But in this time, that that would not be the first thought of people. It'd be like, oh yeah, this is a cool dude, right? Hmm. These selfies he takes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he he's... Basically the idea is he's not often in the country, but when, when he is, he comes by and stops at Roger Ackroyd's place. So yeah, we get interested in him. And then I think dinner starts. Everyone from the house is there. And then direct dinner is not important. We basically cut to directly after dinner. Roger Ackroyd asks Shepard to come in his study and tells the rest of the household he doesn't want to be disturbed for the rest of the night. And so this is what this is why Shepard had been invited, because Ackroyd wanted to talk to him and wanted to kind of like talk to him about what's gone on with Mrs. Farrar's. Um, so, uh, Ackroyd asks Shepard to shut one of the windows. So he's, again, it's like he has this paranoia that someone's going to be listening in on his conversation. And then he makes sure that, um, Parker, the butler is like not around. So Parker is like, I think brought in drinks for them and make sure he makes sure that Parker is left before he does anything. So he's in this, he's in this state about Mrs. Farrar's. And apparently Mrs. Ferrars had told him the day before that, that she had poisoned her husband. So she admits to killing her husband. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. The next morning dead, she had died in her sleep. So he kind of, he's, he's saying to her, he's now telling Shepard that he had wanted to marry Mrs. Ferrars and he actually had proposed to her a couple of times and she had made clear to him well, she had turned him down in the sense that she was like, I have to finish my mourning period, which was a year after her husband's death before they could get married. And so at the day before he'd come to her and been like, hey, it's after a year, like, are we going to get married? When she had told him, listen, I have to tell you this, I killed my husband. And she knew and could see in Roger Ackroyd's face that that changed everything. Like he was, he was definitely a very moral person. Makes sense? <laughs> well... There's... Oh, I was hoping it'd be into bad for us. <laughs> um, there is more in the book about you do feel a bit sorry for Mrs. Ferrars. Apparently, her husband had been like ter- like a, kind of an abuser, basically, and so there wasn't there wasn't too much sympathy towards her husband. He, 
I think pe- did, people did think he was a bad guy. But yeah, also, they're not, you can't just murder your husband. That's also not cool. Still frowned upon at the time. yeah thank you allegedly not cool (laughs) so the the other thing that's not cool that had been happening is she had told Ackroyd Mrs. Ferraris had told Ackroyd that she had been being she was being blackmailed so someone had known that she had killed her husband and was blackmailing her and so Ackroyd Ackroyd's frustrated because he's sure that like she did she wouldn't tell him she wouldn't tell him um and she if he knew who was doing it he's basically saying like I'd go after whoever that person was like whoever that scoundrel was so he's upset about that and so at this moment Parker comes back into the room with a I I think it's a salver but like just like a tray with all the letters the evening post has just come in the tray of letters and right away uh Roger Ackroyd picks out a blue envelope that has Mrs. Ferrar's writing on it. So it's like, she did send a note. And so I will read you the note. Just give me a minute. Okay, so it said, My dear, my very dear Roger, a life calls for life. I see that. I saw it in your face this afternoon. So I'm taking the only road open to me. I leave to you the punishment of the person who has made my life a hell upon earth for the last year. I would not tell you the name this afternoon, but I propose to write it to you now. I have no children or no near relations to to be spared, so do not fear publicity. If you can, Roger, my very dear Roger, forgive me the wrong I meant to do to you, since when the time came, I could not do it after all. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) So I I think the name is written on the back of the letter or something like that, and um, Roger Ackroyd refuses to read the name in front of Shepard. He said, like, that is too private. He was fine with the rest of the letter, but he is, he's not going any further. He needs, he needs to be alone to kind of, like, know, get this knowledge. Like, I, he's probably Roger anxious. Okay. Does Roger know at this point? No, Roger says he won't read the rest of the note in front of Shepard. He basically mm. is like, okay, you can go now. Like, I, I need to be alone. This is, this is too much to handle in front of someone. She... She understands that Roger, like Roger would not have married her because he's, he, he's has a bit like stronger moral compass than her pretty much. He's like not cool with murder. And so she's saying, I understood from the way, like your, your facial expression today, that the only way, the only thing I could do is a life for a life. So that's why she takes her own life. Cause she's like, this is my only way out. Like I'm it's, it's over. Um, but she hopes that he'll, he'll revenge her death or he'll revenge her blackmail and find the blackmailer. I think the end of the note was saying that she was she would have married him being a murderer and basically made him or or maybe she, she would have made him an accomplice because she told him about the murder and she was expecting him to keep it a secret. And she's like, I obviously can't do that to you. I love you. I'm not going to make you an accomplice. So I'm out. Like, I just can't tell you. I'm sorry. I <laughs> can't tell Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> Shepard Shepherd says in his so Shepard is is um he's like right he's I think he says at the beginning at the beginning he's telling this story this like kind of exciting thing that happened in town so as he's writing it he's like he was trying to encourage Roger to tell him and so it's kind of it feels like maybe like the gossip in him is like no keep going <laughs> don't stop now uh but he Shepard leaves at around eight fifty. Um, as he as he heads out the door, he tells Parker that 
Roger dis- does not want to be uh, disturbed. Um, Acro- uh, sorry, Parker seems a little nosy, like he's trying to listen at the door. And so, so uh, Shepard's helping out there, kind of going like, I see you. Uh, <laughs> Roger's in a state. And then around nine, he passes through the gates of, of Fernley. So like they would have been like the little, you know, the big driveway out of this, this manor, whatever. And he passes a man at the gate who is asking directions for Fernley. And the man apparently has his collar pulled up around his face and his cap down low over his, like on, um, over his face. Pretty suspicious. Yeah. And I think um, Shepard also says he he sounds like he has maybe a bit of an American accent or he, he's trying to maybe cover it up a little bit. It's a weird accent. So from there, he heads home to kind of basically nights over. He goes home to chill with Caroline and Caroline is like trying to pick his brain and find out everything that he found out. And Shepard's um, thwarting her attempts and not telling her anything. <laughs> um, and then at, uh, they, they both go up to bed. At 9.45, he gets a call from who he thinks is a patient because he had a patient that was doing pretty badly. But when he answered the phone, it ends up being from Parker telling him um, Roger Ackroyd has been murdered. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. That's, I was hoping it was a different Roger and different <laughs> Ackroyd, but uh, yeah, oh, I was attached to him. Okay. Uh, so yeah, luckily he's. We don't get to know him too well, but yeah, uh, most of the time I feel like the murdered victim is someone you don't like. But you definitely, Roger is. You, you're you're down with Roger. He just seems like, like he had a cool good guy. moral compass, you know. And, yeah. Ah. So we'll make a Roger Ackroyd fan club after this. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. No one take that Instagram handle. So Shepard Shepard gets this call and books it back to Fernley. He has a car. He drives back and uh, he's banging on the door. Parker opens it up and says, what do you mean? I didn't call you. Like, no, I, Roger's not dead. What are you talking about? And so Shepard's kind of going like, okay, can we just be safe and like check in on him? Like, this is fine if it's great, if it's not. But I'm said, I didn't call you. Oh, but did he in the call had that caller introduced himself as Parker? No, I think Shepard had just, uh, he says later to the police, he's like, I, you know, he didn't say Parker. I just assumed like who else would be calling. It's, uh, I, I guess not even necessarily that it sounded like Parker. Let's say telephones back then were not the greatest for picking up on voices. So oh. it, it could be that. Yeah. Yeah. Probably no caller ID either. Probably not. <laughs> so uh, so just to be safe, they check the study and they find the door is locked and Ackroyd's not answering. He's not saying anything, like he's not responding to their to their calls. And so they break down the door and um, they find him in his chair, stabbed in the back. Oh. Yeah. Like through so, the chair or like hunched over? Uh, hunched over. Okay. Um, so, okay. So they found him dead. We're back. We're back to Ackroyd's in the chair, hunched over. And so Raymond and Blunt, um, Raymond is the secretary. We're just getting introduced to him here. Uh, Roger Ackroyd's secretary. He comes in with Major Blunt and they're starting to try and theorize what could have happened. So uh, it's at this moment that, okay, wait, I think so. So Shepard, Shepard starts looking over the body. Uh, Parker goes to telephone for the police. The other to Blunt and Raymond come in. And then at around that point, when they're starting to theorize, Shepard notices the letters are on the floor. There's no blue envelope. So he notices at that point that mm. the, the blackmail name envelope is gone. 
So Inspector Davis arrives. He's the local police inspector in town and he starts to ask about the phone message. And so Shepard, this is when Shepard admits that he had kind of took, he had taken the voice for granted to be Parker's, but that nowhere did the person say they were Parker. So the inspector finds that the window is now open, even though Shepard confirms that he locked the window earlier in the night. So at some point, um, Ackroyd had opened the window, um, presumably to let someone in that he wanted to let in, uh, but they're they're unclear on that. And they find footprints on the windowsill that have like it seems like rubber. They can see like there it would have been rubber studs. So they're going to try and find these shoes. Uh, Shepard then describes the stranger that he had seen on the path. And Raymond says that he remembers hearing Ackroyd's voice as he had passed by the study at 9.30 p.m. And he had taken it that uh, Ackroyd was, that Shepard was still in there talking to him, but uh, he hadn't actually heard Shepard's voice. He just had assumed because he hadn't seen Shepard leave. But Parker had let Shepard out. Uh, and then Raymond remembers what the scrap of conversation he had overheard. So it was, the calls on my purse have been so frequent of late that I fear it is impossible for me to accede to your request. The calls on his purse. Mm-hmm. This feels like it's about probably money. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's, also... I, I think that's a vibe. Okay. I'm suspicious of one Ralph Patton, who seems oh, yeah. to be... Also in need of purse. <laughs> mm, that's it's too odd. Yeah, actually, is there any evidence of like zucchini or zucchini residue around the study that they mention? <laughs> Just due diligence here. <laughs> that would be a major twist if Hercule Poirot had done it. Which I'm not going to say he didn't. There is no zucchini residue uh, that okay, they find. Okay. They also don't look so. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well the fact that they confirm it isn't there is almost more suspicious because in those days everyone was growing zucchini so Hmm. so at this point there there's now they're assuming so uh roger record must have been live around 9 30 if he was talking to someone i think they are kind of starting to think could it have been that was his murderer but Parker pipes up to see to say that um, he had seen Flora coming out of the study around 9.45. And so they call her in. They're like, okay, let's, let's check this out. And they don't want to tell her that her uncle is dead yet. So they just say that there's been a robbery and they, they want to know like when the last time she saw her uncle was. So she confirms that she had gone in to say goodnight around 9.45 and then come out. And so uh, when they tell her that her uncle's actually dead, she faints and they bring her bring her up to her room it's hard to fake that okay okay <laughs> so then they uh they lock up Ackroyd's wing of the house and so i'm gonna just i'm gonna show you guys on video but um for anyone at home you can either google this or i will try and post a picture on the instagram page of the um the floor plan layout of the Ackroyd house so i want to call attention to there's there's only like oh, i'm covering the mic oops there's the important part is that uh, the study, the stairs lead up to Roger's bedroom, and then there's a door at the end of the, the stairwell hallway. So there's only one way to get to Roger's bedroom, and it's up those stairs from his study. So they're kind of showing that um, if they want to lock off Roger's like end of the house, since they broke down the door to the study, they can lock off that secondary door and no one will be able to access the study or Roger's bedroom. 
Okay. Is the drawing room included in that or not really? Um, no, the drawing room can be accessed by anyone. Okay. He had built it in because he wanted to be separated from the house, but you're right for this storyline. Very convenient. (laughs) So exactly. They lock, they lock that off, uh, so that they can kind of preserve the crime scene because they're calling in the higher up detectives to come in and check this case out. So sometime around now, the inspector pulls Shepard aside and he says that Parker had mentioned something about blackmail. So this is where we're like, oh yeah, Parker was totally listening out of the door to hear hear that conversation. And so uh, Shepard tells the inspector the whole story up until that the blue envelope is missing. So, so then they go it back into the study and the inspector wants to do an analysis on the dagger. So he, he carefully takes it out of of the dead man, puts it into like kind of a cup and sets it aside. And he can see as he's examining it, there are fingerprints on the dagger. So they're going to do an analysis on that. Um, It turns out that this dagger um, was a quote unquote, like a curio gift from Blunt and would have been in that curio case in the drawing room. Yeah. That um, one Miss Russell. Yes. Yeah, mm. definitely. They're going to interview her for sure. So so the inspector's asking if the dagger was there when when um, when Shepard had been looking at the, the curios when he was testing out the case and he can't remember. He, he doesn't remember if it was there or not. So then they ask cocaine. for Miss... <laughs> as, you, as you're familiar with, because I think it's big in the discussion, world discussion now, it's like England stole a bunch of stuff from different countries around the world. I think... Let's say this is a relic or like it's an antique or a um, historical artifact from, let's say, insert Asian country here. Right in the dinner room. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so they ask in Miss Russell, as you're saying, they're also going like, hmm, this Miss Russell, we need to talk to her. And so she again says she'd gone into the room to check the flowers when she had noted that the, curio- the door to the curio case was open. So she had just shut it um, as she was in there kind of checking over things. And that's that. Shepard had noticed that both the um, the French windows were open, like they were both ajar, which is why he th- he partly thought that wouldn't sound like a window closing, but also they were open, so they weren't closed. And I think that's important because the fact that the doors to the drawing room were open meant that it didn't necessarily have to be someone in the household that could have come in to the curio case, theoretically. They're kind of um, saying that anyone from the outside could have come into that room. Okay, so the next morning, Flora uh, visits Shepard, and she basically wants his help convincing Poirot to get onto the case, because she knows that Poirot is this famous detective. And this is news to Shepard, because again, everyone in town had no idea or no idea who he was. And she's kind of saying that she's very afraid for Ralph, again, her, her fiancé, because he hasn't turned up. No one has been able to find him. She says that Ralph had gone, had left the three boars, the inn in town. He had left at 9 p.m. the night before and he never returned, not even this morning. And she knows that Shepard is worried as well because he had gone to the three boars the night before, like as on his way home from, from um, Fernley. So she's kind of saying, I, we need, we need to help him. Like this is looking bad. And um, so they go over to Poirot. Shepard's a little hesitant because he doesn't know who this guy is, but he's he is gonna learn. <laughs> the whole town's gonna learn. And Poirot accepts the case and has them tell him all of the details, fill him in on everything that happened. And so basically that's 
Um, Shepard recounts all the details we've already heard. And then uh, Shepard brings him down to the police station and introduces him to the police. So another police inspector has showed up on the scene, Inspector Raglan. He is like the county police officer. He's kind of a bigger deal. He's going to lead the case. And they all go back to the house and they go into the study together. So Poirot is looking around, like looking, looking at things. No one knows really why, what is important to him. But he calls for Parker, the butler, and he asks, how was the fire when you came into the room last night? Like, was it low? Was anything different? That kind of thing. And so Parker says that the fire had been very low, like just embers, and that there's, there was a chair beside the door that had been pulled out away from the, from the wall and wasn't in its normal position. And then later in the evening, he had noticed that it had been pushed back up against the wall. Yeah, so when they had first come into the study and found the dead body, the chair was in an abnormal position. It was away from the wall. And then, I don't know how much later, but later in the evening, he noticed that it was back in position. No, 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 just just a random chair in the room. Hmm. Yep. <laughs> well, they they kind of talk it about is that. On how, like the title of the book or on the the cover page. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they talk about the idea of, like, if the walls could speak, like, what would they tell us? We also get another bomb drop of a piece of information. Um, the police have investigated and found that the phone call that went to Shepard had been placed from the train station in town um, right before a big departure back to, let's say, to Liverpool or one of the bigger cities. So, and it's, uh, apparently this train station is like a junction. So there's a lot of traffic. There's like a few telephone boxes. They're not going to be able to find out who placed this call. Like there's just too much going on. Yeah. They still can't find him. Hmm. So it comes back right now. They're the, oh, it comes back to that stranger that Shepard had passed on the way in. And so they call in, I think they've, confirmed someone else saw the same stranger passing on the road and they had asked her for directions as well so both both um her and Shepard had noticed this guy and um so they call in Raymond ask did any strangers visit the house in the last week so kind of maybe what the idea was someone casing the house and he says that no one out of no one abnormal um a guy had come to show um dictaphones but no one like really strange like just a sales guy basically okay and then inspector raglan he has decided that ralph is guilty with all this circumstantial evidence it has to be ralph like they don't necessarily have any hard evidence but it's gonna be him yeah poirot basically says um he won't be so quick to judge i think he goes how does the why would ralph phone shepherd like how does the telephone call fit in and inspector raglan goes oh that's not important Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like Flora is almost suspicious because, well, yeah, <laughs> that is true. That's on the other side. But what I find suspicious is that it seems that her and Ralph don't have the best relationship due to the fact that he's hanging around by the three boars speaking to suspicious women. Mm-hmm. So if she could get rid of him uh, by framing him for this murder... That would be awfully convenient. And she was also the last person to have seen him while he was alive. But another another aspect is the whole blackmail thing. I feel like that's probably pretty important to this this case. 
That's so that's a good point. Um, Roger was known to be he didn't like to part with his money. Like he was very big on charity. Like he'd give he'd give lots of money to uh, the church or, or different things like that. But in terms of like general life, like he would did not want to spend stuff, spend money on things. And his curio. And his curios, yeah. <laughs> do you want to keep thinking or do you want to keep going with getting some facts? Maybe let's let's get some more facts. I feel like this is coming together. Okay. okay. So, so Raglan, part of the reason he thinks Ralph is guilty is because he had found that the footprints on the windowsill match Ralph's shoes that they found at the three mm. boars. And so apparently Ralph had two pairs of these shoes and so of the same shoes. So he, they were able to match them up. This was the old pair that they had found at the inn at the three boars. And so Poirot is still going like, okay, like he, he, I think he says like anyone could wear the shoes kind of thing. So as they are outside, um, kind of looking around, I think they've gone out to look at the footprints. Poirot pops into, there's like a garden house, summer house, that kind of thing nearby. And he's like just snooping around looking, basically looking for clues. And he finds a white piece of cambric, which is like, you can look it up, but it's kind of like, but like linen, it's a type of linen that maybe, I don't know, would be used for some kind of clothes. And it was starched. Which uh, Hercule Poirot finds important. I finished the book and I'm still a little confused about how it ties in. But I think that's just because I didn't, you know, grow up in the 1920s. And then he also finds a small quill. Hmm. So Poirot and Shepard go for a walk and they end up eavesdropping on Flora and Blunt. And Poirot has no qualms eavesdropping. He's He basically is telling Shepard, like, no, 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 stay here. Let's keep listening. And so they get the vibe that Blunt is into Flora. Like he, he likes her and uh, he might be old enough to be her father, but he still likes her. I think she's over 18. So like, it's, it's cool. Um, And she at least likes his presence, but she's also kind of making fun of him a little bit. So not super clear on her feelings for him. Like Uh, nagging or like is just, not into her n- into him uh can you define negging for me please <laughs> um <laughs> like she is making mean jokes that seem like compliments actually i can't now that i think about it <laughs> this is one I of don't... those things that will be added to the show notes okay right uh no i don't think she's negging him um she she no she's not being that mean she's just i think maybe there's there's some generational disconnect in a way like or or maybe he doesn't understand why she'd want to buy like a dress for the new season or something so uh, no not not nagging but she is kind of confided confiding a little bit in him because she says that she just found out the lawyer has been down and she's just found out that she's going to inherit twenty thousand pounds so substantial amount of money and she says yeah outright and um, she she's excited because it means she's going to have her freedom. Hmm. So 
at this point, Poirot steps out and makes his presence known, and he's kind of asking Blunt um, when he had last seen Aykroyd. And so Blunt admits that he had the last time he had seen Aykroyd had been at dinner, Roger Aykroyd, um, but he was smoking out on the terrace, and so he had heard Aykroyd's voice through the open window, and he had taken it for granted that it was um, Raymond, the secretary, that he was talking to. But he doesn't like he doesn't actually remember any of the conversation. He didn't hear R- Raymond's voice. That was just um, his impression. And then Poirot asks Flora about the Curio case, and she says that she's positive that when she was in the drawing room before dinner, the dagger was not in the Curio case. So as they are, as every like people start to head it back, Flora invites both Shepard and Poirot over for lunch. Um, Poirot kind of stays behind, and he they had been sitting in front of like a goldfish pond, and he f- fishes out at the bottom. There was like some little shiny gold thing, and it turns out to be a gold ring with an inscription on the inside that says, "From R, March thirteenth." Hmm. Russell or Raymond. Hmm. Just feels like it's probably from Ralph. Okay. I mean, Roger. First, first guess. Hmm. So something to keep in mind, Poirot kind of keeps it to himself. He shows Shepard, but he doesn't show anyone else. He pockets the ring. It's not very honorable. <laughs> so they all go back to the house for lunch, and Mrs. Aykroyd, the, the mother, she's insisting that the death had, had to have been an accident, because no one would have killed him. And You know, you're scratching yeah. your back with your curio knife, and gonna well that's basically people are going what are you talking i think shepherd says like no 100 percent, no it was a murder like just he did not stab himself in the back so she's she's pushing that and then i think um after lunch or sometime around then poro asked their lawyer can he can he tell them what's in the will and so we find out the inheritance were a thousand pounds to miss russell the housekeeper which is i think seen as a lot to a housekeeper Raymond got 500 pounds, the secretary. Mrs. Ackroyd will inherit 10,000 pounds in like shares. So she, she'll be paid out every year a small amount of like a small amount of that money. And then Miss um, Ackroyd, Flora, Flora gets 20 pounds outright. So just direct. And then Ralph, uh, sorry, 20,000 pounds, sorry, 20,000 pounds. I, I think the idea is, is that Flora is a blood relation because she's the daughter of his brother, Mrs. Ackroyd is not. Mm. Uh, and then Ralph inherits the remainder, the estate and the rest of the money. Just presumably a, a lot. Like, okay. Yeah, he definitely he definitely has motive. So Poirot um, tasks Shepard with something. He wants him to get some information out of Blunt. And he wants to know if Blunt was around, like if he was in town the year before when Mr. Ferrars had died. Because he's he's kind of looking on the blackmail aspect, so 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 Shepard gets the information. It sounds like no, he might have been there either like just before or just after the death, but he had gotten inheritance about about a year ago. So he, uh, I think Shepard's kind of saying, but like who does that really mean anything? So there is also then a question of ready money. Like, does Mrs. Ackroyd have the money to pay for, like, small expenses until she gets the inheritance? And Raymond pipes up that, yes, um, Roger had just cashed a check for £100 the day before, and it was in his room. So they got to his room to find the money and find that £40 is missing. Hmm. Right. He he cashed it the night before. Raymond's kind of saying there's no way he would have paid it out to anyone yet. 
he thinks it's stolen unless that evening Roger had given it to someone. The other thing is that that door, as, as so this is where it ties in, that door had been locked since the murder, right? The, the inspector had locked the outside door. That was the only way up to his room. So it has to have happened sometime before, I don't know, 11 p.m. or whenever the murder had happened. 10 p.m. So they talk to Miss Russell because they want to, they're the first the idea that money is missing. It's like the first thing is go to the servants. Was it one of the servants who could have done it? So Miss Russell says that it would have been, I think there was a maid, Elsie, who would have cleaned the room, but she's like, no, supposedly, I think all the servants are supposedly really respectable. So they talk to her, they don't really get anything. And then they talk to the parlor maid because apparently she gave notice the night before, like the day before that she was mm-hmm. like putting in her two weeks notice. And so they interview her. Her name is Ursula Bourne. And so she comes in and says that um, Roger Ackroyd had been upset with her for dis- d- disarranging or disturbing papers on his desk. And so he had told her to leave the job. Like to, she was, he was basically dismissing her. And so Poirot asks how long that interview had been, how long she had been in the study for. And she says about 30 minutes, um, which I think they're kind of saying is sounds a little long to be told the papers are been disturbed. Then they um, discuss if it could have been Parker because he kind of seems like he might be a little shady and um, they find that he was basically busy all night. He'd had duties, so he wouldn't have had time to, to sneak away and, and steal the money. However, Ursula did have pockets of time where she said she was just in her room alone. So her alibi is not confirmed. So the next day, Poirot tasks Shepard with another, another thing. He wants Shepard to go meet with um, Ursula's reference, like her previous employer, whose name is Mrs. Foliot. So, uh, so Shepard gets there, she's in like a town over and, um, she doesn't, it really feels like she doesn't want to answer any questions. Like she kind of just says, yes, Ursula was a good worker, but she can't, she like, can't say how long she had worked for her for. And she can't say who her, like where she had come from. She can't give any information on her family. There's nothing like that. So that's seeming, mm-hmm. it just seems weird. Good point. So, uh, I meant to mention this and then forgot. Poirot says at one point, um, you're exactly like Hastings. So Hastings was like Poirot's like Watson character. But at this point in like the, the Hercule Poirot, Poirot lore, Hastings has gotten married. Actually, Eric, because you were in that last episode, the girl, Cinderella, that Hastings like falls in love with, they get married. And so uh, Hastings and Cinderella have moved to Argentina and are living there now. It's just some fun. <laughs> basically i'm not sure why <laughs> i know so that's that's kind of what poirot is saying is that shepherd really reminds him of his friend hastings so it sounds like he's kind of using him in a similar way and so so haste uh, not hastings oops <laughs> shepherd gets home from his um his uh task and he gets home to a thrilled Caroline, his sister, because apparently Poirot had called for a visit at the house to talk to her. And as he said, get the local gossip. <laughs> so Poirot had told her about some of his cases and she had been thoroughly impressed with him. And she had told Poirot what she had overheard in the woods. And Shepard gets upset about this because he hadn't told Poirot about this because he thinks it's bad for Ralph. He thinks that this is like making Ralph look bad because he was talking about needing money, basically. And 
um, Caroline's like, of course he needs to know. And to be fair, the whole village knew Poirot was going to find out eventually. And then Poirot had also asked Caroline about uh, Shepard's surgery appointments from the day before. And so uh, Caroline says, of course I could remember because she is picking up on all of these details. And so she lists them off. There had been old Mrs. Bennett, a boy from a farm with a broken finger, Dolly Grice, an American sailor, George Evans, and Miss Russell. And she kind of, she puts a point on that one because she she knows about the, the cocaine talk because Shepard had told her. So she is, she's leaving some stress on that that she thinks that's what Para was after. Hmm. So... The ins- uh, by the time the inquest is held, there's still no sign of Ralph. He still he still has not showed up. The police can't find him anywhere. So this is again not looking good. And the issue the issue kind of is is they're saying if he just came, he could explain himself. Like the fact that he hasn't turned up turned up is making him look even more guilty. So the inspector says that the prints on the dagger are no one in the house. They've checked everyone's fingerprints in the house and they don't line up with the dagger. And Poirot makes, gives a suggestion. He says, have you checked the dead man's fingerprints? And the inspector kind of goes, no, what? Why? Why?" And Poirot says, well, I noticed that the fingerprints looked like someone had reached the man's arm behind him and wrapped his hand around the dagger. That's what the, the, shape of the fingerprints look like so the inspector kind of says oh fine fine i guess i could check and so we'll find out actually i'm just going to tell you now they are they are roger Ackroyd's fingerprints oh my god Mm -hmm. so they're just uh, just pointing it out it it does i think paro says it makes a confusing murder even more confusing Mm. i feel like this adds the the whole framing ralph thing uh Uh, to make it mm -hmm. seem like someone stabbed him or maybe the real murder weapon was something else or okay another type of way to kill somebody maybe but the things we know the letter <laughs> like the blue letter was gone so i'm still suspicious of flora mm. so after the inquest the whole household meets and poirot makes a plea to all of them he says that every one of you, you're holding back a piece of information, you need to tell me. I'm going to find out anyways, so just tell me because you're the one that's stopping this this investigation from going any further. Um, and basically leaves and lets them sit on that. So that evening, Shepard goes over to Poirot's house to discuss the case. And uh, again, Poirot's kind of pointing out how he's acting like Hastings because he just like has no understanding. He's as Hastings would do. He can take in the facts, but he can't like he can't make sense of any of them. So Poirot's basically making fun of him kind of in a nice way. And uh, Poirot, Poirot has found out that the the quill in the room like that he had found in the summer house, he kind of like shows it to Shepard and is like, this is what they use. This is how you typically like take heroin. Americans love heroin. So he's kind of like putting this together with the mystery man, that the mystery man was in that, that um, garden house. Just shooting up, heroin. you know, after a job well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You guys are in America. Americans love heroin. So I would have figured you've been offered several times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Poirot, Poirot points out to this. He says, as we know, Mrs. Aykroyd and her daughter uh, came to live here from Canada. They were living in Canada before. So he's just, he's throwing that out there as like a, does it fit in? Were they, are these people connected? He's not sure. So the next morning, Mrs. Aykroyd calls for Shepard to come to her house. And she basically says that Poirot's words the night before scared her a lot. And so she's going to confess something to Shepard that like, she wants him to tell Poirot in like a nice way, basically. And she makes a huge fuss about this. Like she goes in, she goes on and on and on about this story. And so I've summarized it for you. (laughs) She basically had a lot of unpaid bills that she wasn't showing to Roger Ackroyd. And she was just like hiding away. And um, someone had come to collect money from her. And so she was getting, starting to get a little freaked out. Uh, And so she had wanted to see the will and see if she was going to inherit anything. So uh, I, I think the day before, like the day of the murder earlier in the day, she had gone into the study while she thought the rest of the household was out and she'd been going through the desk trying to find the will. And she was on the bottom drawer when the parlor maid, Ursula Bourne, had come into the room and caught her in the act. So she had tried to kind of like make it seem like, nope, no, nothing was going on. And then Roger had come in. And so she had just grabbed, I think, like a magazine and said that's what she was coming in for and left the room. Sorry, who was that again? This was Mrs. Aykroyd, the okay. mother. So that, that that's the first thing she wants to confess. There's a second thing. Um, she admits that she was the one who had left the, the curio case open. And it's because she had seen that there were some little pieces of silver in there. And she was planning to bring them to London. Not to sell them, just to get them appraised. So that she could tell Roger how much they were worth in case he wanted to sell them. Mm. If you believe her. <laughs> so she's she's admitting to a couple things there. Uh, so, so that took, that took, um, Shepard quite a while to get out of her. So he's, he's leaving. And as he leaves, um, Ursula Byrne is helping him into his coat and she seems very worried about Ralph and it looks like she's been crying. So, and she's kind of asking, asking Shepard, do you like, do you know where he is? And he's like, I have, I have no idea. Just like everyone else. So he heads home, and when he gets home, again, Caroline's pretty excited because Poirot has sent her on an assignment. Um, He had wanted to know if Ralph's boots were black or brown, and apparently Poirot thought they were going to be brown, and she had found out through her network information that his boots were black. I've solved the case. Jessica. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But in the forest, uh, Ralph was talking to a woman. And said that he'll take care of it. That they need more money. I call yep. before yep. a twig was <laughs> broken. Yep. No, exactly. So um, Shepard heads over to Poros to kind of tell him this information, both both from Mrs. Ackroyd and about the boots, and um, they they kind of discuss what they're thinking about the case. And Poirot then asks him about Miss Russell's surgery visit. So that she had been there the day of the murder with a hurt knee, quote unquote, and asking about cocaine. And so he, I think before Shepard says anything, he guesses that she was asking about cocaine because apparently there had been a newspaper article the morning that she had come in that was discussing the effects of cocaine. So she, he thinks that that's what had put it into her mind. 
And at this point, uh, Mr. Raymond walks into the room. He's come to see Poirot. And he, he now has a piece of information that he's been holding back that he wants to come clean with. So he tells them that he had been in need of money and that this 500 pound inheritance has come right at the nick of time. Like it's going to save him. He was, yeah, the secretary. Like he was, he was on his way for ruin basically is is how he's phrasing it. And then he says, luckily they, so they think the death happened between um, 9.45 and 10 based on Flora seeing her uncle at 9.45. And I think the, let's say the telephone call came in at 10. I don't remember what I, when I said it did, but that's what they've narrowed down the time to. But Raymond was playing billiards or pool or whatever with Major Blunt during that 15 minutes. So he's kind of saying, even though I was in need of money, I have a solid alibi. So it's not me. And then he heads out. So Shepard suggests to Poirot at this point, he's like, we, we should be careful. We've been looking at this as if the murderer is the blackmailer, but they may not in fact be the same person. And Poirot kind of like gives him like a little nod of like, ah, so you have thought of that. It's kind of to say like, of course, I've, I've been thinking that all along. But he says, then why take the letter? Why was the blue letter missing? Are the like is it it still could not be like they could be unrelated, but we have to keep that in in our minds. Um, Poirot wants to then perform like a little experiment with Parker. So him and Shepard head over to Fernley and they get Flora to help them out with this with this little experiment. And he basically wants them to like recreate the scene um when uh when when Parker had been coming to uh, he had been coming to deliver drinks when he had seen Flora leaving the room. So they get they get set up and Parker says it was exactly how he remembers it. Flora's hand was on the door of the study. He had been bringing drinks and Poirot asks, and you had two glasses for sure. And Parker says, yep, I always had two glasses. And then um, they sent him away. And then Poirot double checks with um, Flora that she, he's like, do you remember two glasses? And she says, yes, there were two, two whiskey glasses or whatever. And then and then they uh, Shepard and Poirot leave, and Shepard's like, "What? What do you? What's with the glasses?" And um, Poirot kind of goes like, "Oh well, I had to say something." Basically, like, "Oh, he's he again like brushes it off. He's not going to tell Shepard anything about his methods." So that night, um, Shepard and Caroline have a uh, is it mahjong mahjong night, and I've never played mahjong. And I guess I could have looked up the instructions, but they talk a lot about it in this story. And I can't tell if any of it's racist or not, because I don't know the game myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I No, I'm, I I cut it out. I'm not going to talk about it because I just, I'm like, you know what? Why, why bother? I'll tell you yeah. that's what they were playing. Uh, I've seen that scene on YouTube. <laughs> I actually haven't seen this scene. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's my only experience with Mahjong. <laughs> what game does it remind me of? It reminds me of, is it Hearts? No. What's the game? Rummy? I was going to say Dominoes. <laughs> so anyways, they have a Mahjong night. That's not important. I'm just, uh, just, you know, that's, they've had two other local gossips over and that's the whole point. There's four of them conversing and they discuss Ursula and how they think it's weird that she doesn't hang out with any of the other girls in town. And she kind of like, she goes off and does her own thing. And 
Maybe. Maybe. And the other thing is, is that she's been crying a lot recently. So they're pointing that out. And Caroline thinks that she knows where Ralph is, where he's hiding out. Oh. And she says that Poirot, that, and she doesn't, again, like, she doesn't really know, but she thinks she knows. Um, Poirot had been over that day, and there's a big map of the county on their front hall wall. And as he had been passing by it, he made a comment about that the um, Cranchester is the only big town nearby. That's all he had said, and then he headed out. So... The name's not important, it's just that it's the big town nearby. And, oh my gosh, you guys! <laughs> I Both Eric's are just giggling to themselves on camera, trying to be quiet, <laughs> covering their faces. Anyways... She she hadn't taken Poirot's meaning at first, and then once he had left, she had been like, oh, and now she feels like it must mean that Ralph is in Cranchester. Mm. Yeah, it's the like the biggest town nearby. Okay. Um, and then you say of... that when he barely knows her, but <laughs> I don't know yeah, how to edit keep that. Keep going. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> Let's get some facts. Okay. So. Uh, one of the other gossips that's in there, she says that she had seen Poirot coming. In, he was in a car coming from the direction of Cranchester earlier that day. So she's like tying the two together. Poirot. Poirot was in a car coming from the direction of Cranchester. So they're kind of going like, oh, yeah. They're like, are we right? Are we right that he was in Cranchester? Um, Shepard's been pretty quiet all night because, again, he's like, his nature is like not to give away information. But he... God, so this is where it ties in that I don't know anything about Mahjong, but he gets a hand at the very beginning that's like a really big winning hand. It feels like poker, like he like got a royal flush on his when he picked up his tiles. Right. So he's got he's got some kind of a set of tiles. It's like the big winning hand and he got it just on the first draw, like without having to actually play the game. And so he says he's so high on this like big win that he ends up telling them all about the gold ring. Um, that had been found in the pond by Poirot. Mm. Yeah, from R. And so then it, uh, all these gossiping people have to dive into who is R, and they come up with all these theories. So um, after the joint funeral for Mrs. Ferrars and Roger Ackroyd, Poirot pulls Shepard aside for his help examining a witness. So they both go back to his house where Parker, the butler, is already there. And Poirot gets right to business. He gets Parker to confess that he had blackmailed his previous employer until his previous employer had died. Mm. Yeah. So he throws that out there right away. And then he goes into, um, he, he's like, you were, why'd you think that Roger Acker was being blackmailed? And so he gets, he gets Parker to kind of talk about that. And so basically Parker had overheard the words blackmail at the beginning of the night and then throughout the rest of the night had kept trying to come back to the door to listen in. But like um, that last time Flora was at, um, she was there. So he had to leave again. Or like things, things keep coming in his way. Um, so he, he, what basically he wanted to get in on the action. Like he wanted to find out who was blackmailing Roger and why, and then get in on the action himself to get some money. So from that, Poro takes it that, Parker doesn't know anything because he thinks it's, he thinks that it's, yeah. Mm. Cause he, th but yeah, did he they, blackmail his previous employer? Yes. He admits okay. to it. 
but they don't like it's Roger wasn't the one being blackmailed. It was Mrs. Ferrars, and the fact that he seemed to know nothing about that is convincing to Poirot. Okay, but he wasn't necessarily blackmailing Mrs. Ferrars. Um, we're still not sure, but Poirot's now more convinced that he wasn't. He will, so he, we got a little more information. He asked to see um, Parker's bank book, where he would have like had to write down all his bank whatevers. And the largest ex- thing expense in the last year would he is he had bought like five hundred pounds of crown shares or something, and he says that was from his previous blackmailing experience. But then they go to see Mrs. Ferrar's lawyer, and he confirms that he thinks the amount that was likely like blackmailed out of her was um, to the order of twenty thousand pounds. So they like, now are like, it's not Parker. Like, he's not dealing with that kind of money. It's like yeah. gray mail at best. <laughs> yes. So as they leave the lawyers, Poirot tells Shepard that uh, he's made inquiries and found out that Blunt's legacy that he had gotten the, ra- the year before was also around 20,000 pounds. Mm. So he's not saying anything. He's just stating some facts, you know? So they get back to the house and Shepard gets a call and it ends up being um, from Liverpool. The police in Liverpool have detained a man and they want him to Shepard to try and uh, ID the man as the mystery man that was um, on the property uh, the night of the murder. So Inspector Raglan, they get, they get, they're getting on a train and Inspector Raglan is telling them that he's a rough customer and he's definitely in the drug scene. And his name is Charles Kent. So they all go into their interview room and it's at this point that because like they're now in a big city, everyone in Liverpool like knows Poirot and knows that he's a big deal. So up until this point, I think both Shepard and Inspector Raglan have been like, sure, Poirot, like we've heard your name, but are you really who like, are you really that impressive? And now they're seeing that like the Liverpool people are like, no, he's impressive. Like, yeah, Poirot, when Poirot's on the case, he's, you're, you know, you're going to find it. Yeah. He's a finisher. Is that the mm. word? Closer. Cl- the closer. <laughs> He's a closer. Thank you. That's is that a sports term? Sports. Sports. <laughs> Oops. Okay. Uh, so they go in to interview him, and Shepard is able to ID him based on his voice. He's like, "Yeah, that's definitely the man I heard." And he also, Charles Kent admits that he had gone to Fernley to the house that night. He had been in, in town and he says he had been there to meet someone, but he refuses to say who or why. And he says that he had left at around 925 and he had gone to the Dog and Whistle, which is a pub about a mile outside of town. So of course they're going to check about this. So the next day, Inspector Raglan lets Shepard know that Ken's alibi checked out. The barmaid um, remembers him arriving around 9.45. So again, it's kind of like taking him out of this this window that that you need an alibi. And the bar, barmaid had basically said he was loaded with cash. Like he was, he was spending money and he kind of just had all this cash on him, um, like bills. So then they go to tell Paro and get his reaction. And I think Inspector Raglan's saying, I guess we're going to release him. Like, there's no reason for us to arrest him. He has an alibi. And Poirot says, I wouldn't yet if I were you. So that's, they're finding that a little weird. But Poirot was kind of, I think Inspector Raglan's going, but the, like, the times don't line up. Like, he has an alibi. And Poirot says, I'm not convinced of the times. I'm not convinced that that's the window that the murder happened. 
And so he goes into, he basically says there's no proof that Flora was ever in the study, that she was ever in the room. And they go, what do you mean? Um, Parker saw her leaving the room and Hercule Poirot says, no, I confirmed. um, Parker just saw her with her hand on the door, leaving, like on her hand on the study door. But there's no proof she was ever in the room. We just have her word for it. So uh, Poirot suggests they... um, well, okay, first, Poirot is suggesting he's not going to ask Flora yet. He's going to go to ask Flora, but he's going to tell him what, what he thinks first. He thinks that Flora stole that 40 pounds out of Roger's room. You'll remember that those, those stairs that are beside the study are the only stairs up to his bedroom. So he thinks that she heard someone coming and knew that if Parker found her on the stairs, he'd remember it. And then when the money was stolen, he'd remember it. So she had run down and put her hand on the door to make it look like she was coming out of the study. And then when they'd asked her if she had been in the study, they hadn't, remember, they hadn't told her that the murder had happened. They just told her about the robbery. And so she had decided to stick to her story. And so then when they had told her that her uncle was murdered, she felt like she couldn't go back on it. It's possible. Yeah. They're kind of extending that window mm, now. Okay. Or they can't count on it. Like yeah, there's, They can't have sense. that window. So they go to Fernley to to confront Flora and ask her. And it only takes a little bit of pressure for her to confess. Um, and Blunt is in the room with them. So she leaves the room crying and Blunt tries to cover for her. He tries to say, she's lying. She's trying to cover for me. Uh, Roger just gave me the money. Like she didn't steal anything. And so Poirot basically tells Blunt at this point that Flora doesn't actually love Ralph and that he should go after her. Like stop, Stop pretending to be the nice guy, basically. Like, tell tell this girl what you want. So we're getting near the end here. I'm gonna give you, I'll give you a little bit more, I think, info before I ask for your final thoughts. Not your final thoughts, your first thoughts. And then I'll give you even more info and then I'll ask for your final thoughts. <laughs> so just get ready. So Inspector Raglan is super pissed because this changes everything. Like no one's alibi is secure anymore. And he's kind of going like, how long, Poirot, how long have you known this for? And Poirot's like, basically from the beginning, because I don't take anyone's state, I assume everyone's lying. So I never thought that there was an alibi or that, or that, that she had seen, um, seen her uncle. So Shepard goes home to deal with his surgery patients. He sees all of them. And then he goes in, into his workroom because he has another hobby of uh, tinkering. And so he's fixing an alarm clock. And so Poirot comes in and finds him there. And he basically says that he needs a favor. Um, he wants to interview Miss Russell in, in Shepard's surgery. Basically, he knows that if the town, like if, if Caroline sees Miss Russell going into his own house, it will be like a big scandal. So he needs like a, medi- like a middle ground to be able to interview Miss Russell without people knowing. So they're waiting for her and Poirot shows Shepard the message that he's having put in the newspaper. And it's not true, but he thinks it's going to get results. So I'm going to just read you that statement. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Russell hasn't arrived yet. So in the meantime, while they're waiting, he's, he shows him the statement. So he's, he's had this paragraph put in the newspaper. The police have, for some days, been seeking for Captain Ralph Patton, the nephew of Mr. Ackroyd of Fernley Park, whose death occurred under such tragic circumstances last Friday. Captain Patton has been found at Liverpool, where he was on the point of embarking for America. So again, this is not true. 
Poirot just thinks that if he puts it in the newspaper, everyone's going to see it and it's there's it's going to get like the specific results he's looking for, which again, he's not telling us what they are. Right, so he shows this message and then Miss Russell shows up. So they start to talk to her and Poirot basically tells her, tells her about Charles Kent and how they haven't arrested him yet, but that his alibi is no longer good because Flora has confessed that she didn't see. And so he he basically asks, are you sure you don't know who Charles Kent is? And it's at this point that Miss Russell admits that Charles Kent is her son. Who? What? Yeah. Okay. So, so now, yeah, I know, we need to get some explanations on this. But basically, she says that she had met him around 9-10 in the garden house, and that he had wanted money. So she had given him everything she had. And that they had left each other around 9.25 and she had watched him walk away and she had gone back into the house. And I think, I think Poirot kind of explains at this point how this makes sense and why she knew that her son was, he was into drugs. And so that's why after, before seeing him, she had come to Shepherd's surgery and asked about drugs because she was wondering if she could get her son help. She's kind of saying he's not a bad, he's not a bad boy. But he, he's found himself in bad circumstances. Um, and no one knows about this son because she basically, it was again at a time where she had gotten pregnant out of, she wasn't married. And so she wasn't really able to raise him and still like have an income because people, no one would have hired her if they'd known that she had a child. I think, how about you take your first guess now? Tell me what you're thinking about everything and who you think might have killed Roger Ackroyd and why. I'll give you, an, I'll, I'll give you another chance to, to change, change your thoughts okay. after. Could be a suicide, though. You know, Mrs. Ferraris killed herself. Or he could have just, you know, died of natural causes or suicide. And then later, someone tries to take advantage of this death with the whole knife thing. But uh, that still doesn't find the murderer. Um, He snuck off to the three boars to talk to somebody, who I think we both think is Ursula. However... He was talking about financial troubles that he will soon deal with. And I'm using air quotes heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's Ralph. We got Mrs. Ackroyd. She's actually kind of sus because she had debts and needed money. But I don't know if she found them, but she, she was looking for them. Yeah. So maybe she stumbled across something else while she was in there, like blackmail. Oh. Mm-hmm. That could be... That could be something. There was the blue letter that had the, the name of the, the black mailer. Um, but I don't actually know if we have confirmed that that was in the room during the time that uh, Mrs. Ackroyd was searching it. Do we know that? The letter arrived with the evening post. Okay. And then she, her search was prior to the evening? Yeah. So, so Par- as Parker brought the mail in at, as soon as it arrived. Okay. Yeah, her search was, I don't know, mid-afternoon, maybe. Late afternoon, okay. something like that. She's she's searching the house before Roger is murdered. Searching the room. Because Roger comes into the room while she's searching. And then later that evening, the letter arrives from Mrs. Ferrars on, with the evening post at, I don't know, 8, 8.30, something, 8.45, somewhere around there. That she had debts and that her husband had died previously. That's not really mm-hmm. that suspicious. Flora. At first, I was pretty suspicious of her. Yeah, she did steal money from the room. She doesn't really seem to want to marry Ralph. 
at least compared to the the banter with one Mr. or Major Blunt. Mm -hmm. So this could be just a vehicle to remove Ralph from the picture and avoid marrying him with her honor intact. Yeah, she got an extra pair of shoes. She gets her freedom, which was something she had said. And it seems like her current living situation is already pretty comfortable. So it's not really clear what she would be free from besides a undesired relationship. So that's that's kind of why I'm leaning pretty heavily into Flora. Okay. But the kind of wrench in that is that she didn't go in the room and seemed genuinely shocked. But it's always the ones you suspect the least. No, the, the most medium. Um, <laughs> That's, you know, blunt objects have been used to kill people in Agatha Christie novels. He's also a big game hunter. And what game is bigger than <laughs> Wagon Wheel Tycoons? <laughs> he received $20,000 from something. Sorry, 20,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, this is actually getting pretty suspicious. Maybe he... a legacy or inheritance or whatever. As an inheritance. Actually, I'm, I'm a little suspicious of Major Blunt. Because he seems somewhat involved in this previous blackmail situation. And that's just a little sus. Mm-hmm. That was Parker. Parker did a kind of a lower level blackmail and got like 500 pounds. Not from Mr. Ferrars, just from but his yeah. previous employer. Just, yeah. You know. Yeah. But maybe Major Blunt is trying to free Flora with this whole setup shtick. And is also involved in the blackmail previously, which is why the blue letter is gone. Okay. So maybe, I feel like somehow this Charles Kent dude is involved, but I feel like it was like someone hired him to like steal something from the room, like maybe this blue letter, and then paid him like from that small amount of money that was stolen from the bedroom. And then... Remember he also got money from, Miss Russell admits to getting him like all her money. To Charles Kent? Oh, that's true actually. Oh, and there's still that ring, too. Also, I think that mysterious American dude might have just been the debt collector for Mrs. Ackroyd, and there isn't anything suspicious about him. The mysterious American is Charles Kent. Oh, whoops. Uh, okay, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. You gotta pick one. Major blunt to get Flora. Because if Ralph's out of the picture, he just... I'm, so I'm that going your, major That's blunt. your number one right now? I'm I'm just feeling Major Blunt is suspicious. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I will I'm gonna I'll give you some more info and then I will give you an opportunity to adjust your guess if you if you would like. Okay. At the end. But this is your initial guess of the murderer. So the next day the newspaper comes out, that paragraph that Poirot had put in, and Caroline is shook, first of all, that 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 Ralph has been quote unquote found. So Poirot comes over to Shepherd and Caroline's house that afternoon to go on a walk, and he says that he wants to have a conference with all of the suspects at his house that evening. And he basically says that he needs Shepherd to invite them because they'll ask too many questions of him, but they won't since Shepherd doesn't know anything. He like they can't ask questions of him. So. So they go to do that, and um, he he asks he asks all the people at Fernley, and they accept. 
And so when they get back to get back to the doctor's house, they find Ursula Bourne is at, is in the house. She's come to see Poirot. And of course, Poirot isn't available. So Caroline's been kind of like taking care of her. And Poirot walks into the room and goes, ah, oh, but it's not Ursula Bourne, is it? It's Ursula Patton. Mm. And so there's this, you know, mic drop moment. That they were that married. They have been married March 13th. That was the ring. And oh. so she she tells her whole story. She she kind of goes into it. Poirot is basically like, she's basically saying, I already know everything. I just want to hear it from your point of view. And like holding back this information is not going to help Ralph. Like we need to, this isn't, this isn't helping anyone. So she says that her oldest, she, they had been um, Irish dental folk, but were poor because of everything going on with Ireland. And so when their father had died, all the women, all the girls in the house had been cast out to kind of make a living. So she could have been a quote unquote lady parlor maid because she's, she's not like, it's all like the class system of like, you know, are you upper class, middle class, whatever. She realistically shouldn't have needed to work, but because their family had lost all their money, she became a parlor maid. So her oldest sister had married Captain Foliot. So it's that Mrs. Foliot had basically given her a false review reference because she wasn't a previous employer. She was her sister. And that's how she'd gotten her job. But it had worked out really well. She was really good at her job. Uh, and but that's where she had met Ralph last spring or whatever, the year, year before. And they had been married in the spring. Ralph had convinced her. And he had promised her that he was going to get a job and get his life together. But he had found that was a lot more difficult in practice. So he had made her promise not to tell anyone until he had kind of gotten his life together because he knew that if his if his stepfather found out, if Roger Ackard found out, he'd be cut off. So that's why he wanted to like get his get his act together. But then basically Roger Ackroyd had like encouraged Flora and Ralph to become engaged and so they had had this like kind of secret engagement and that was fine because the world didn't know about it so he was kind of convincing Ursula that this was fine that he was he was going to work on it and they would announce the engagement but you'll remember that that day the day of the murder Roger had decided spontaneously to announce the engagement to the world so at this point everyone's going to know that Ralph and Flora engaged and Ursula being already married to Ralph is like uh no so that's what that conversation that Caroline had overheard in the woods was, was them fighting about him kind of talk, talking about money. And it was, Ursula was telling him, no, we have to tell your dad. Like, we have to tell Roger. I'm not keeping this a secret. So they disagreed on that. And Ursula was resolute on telling Roger. So that that 30 minute meeting where she had d- disarranged the papers and he had let her go was actually 30 minutes of him being mad at Ralph and being mad at her for being married because he felt that Ursula was of a lower class and had like basically like connivingly gotten Ralph to marry her, which in reality was kind of the opposite. So that evening, um, her and Ralph had met in the summer house in the garden house after Mrs. Russell, Miss Russell and her son's meetings. There'd been a lot of meetings in the garden house that day and they had both been mad at each other with the decisions they had made. So Ralph was upset that Ursula had had said what she said. Ursula was mad that Ralph hadn't done anything, et cetera, et cetera. And she says that she had met him there around 9.33 and that they had both left around 9.43, like 10 minutes later, 9.45, somewhere around then. That's her whole story. Then um, 
Caroline brings Ursula upstairs to lie down because she's very overwhelmed and, and, and distraught. And Poirot thinks about how he misses Hastings because it was he feels like Hastings was so clueless and would always just say the right thing to like send him in the right direction or something like that. And he also liked that Hastings would take notes, like he'd write Poirot's stories down. And so Shepard sheepishly tells him that he's been taking, like he's been trying to write a story from this the whole time and Poirot basically demands to be allowed to read it like he wants to go through the story um and so I don't know how long it takes him but he kind of sits in the his his workshop the whole day and reads the notes while Shepard goes out and like actually does his doctor job that he's been keeping up with this whole time that other thing (laughs) yeah so when Shepard gets back around 8 p.m Poirot is finished and he basically says like that it's it's different from Hastings and then Hastings always like told his opinion and like would try and guess and that was the comedy and if you like if you're actually reading the books Hastings always guesses wrong and uh he says that Shepard Shepard like hadn't done that at all he'd completely kept out his opinion he'd very much just relayed the facts and around this time is when everyone heads over to Poirot's house for the the conference of the suspects etc so the first announcement is Mrs. Ralph Patton, like the, that Ursula is actually married to Patton. So that throws a couple people into the loop. And then Parra starts to kind of get into explaining the rest of what had gone on. So he talks about both of the rendezvous. So Mrs. R- Miss Russell and, and um, Ursula and um, Ralph's. And then he um, talks about the gold ring and how he thinks, like he thinks that it was Ralph and Ursula's ring. And then he talks about, he like says, and who... So now that we have, like, we have this information, who was in the study, who did, um, when, when Raymond overheard Ackroyd in the study, who was Ackroyd talking to? And uh, Poirot throws out that he kind of goes, was anyone else in the room or was it just Ackroyd? And people kind of go crazy here. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, he was, he was talking. And he kind of, Poirot gets Raymond to say that what he was, what Ackroyd was saying really sounded like dictation. Like it was a super formal way of putting, like my purse strings are, are tied. I can't accede to any money, that kind of thing. And he goes, yeah, it sounds like dictation. Who had been there recently, but that dictaphone guy. So they're saying that he could have been dictating a letter. Oh. Um, and so uh, kind of Raymond goes into this about the dictaphone. He kind of says that uh, Roger hadn't told him about the dictaphone, although it was in his nature to try and surprise him. So it was possible he was testing it out. And then he kind of goes on about how he still doesn't understand why Ralph hasn't come forward. And at this moment, Ralph walks into the room. Wow. Mic drop. <laughs> so at this point... Poirot tells Shepard that it was use- it's useless hiding things from him. So it turns out that Shepard, as we had kind of mentioned at the beginning, worried about um, about how bad it was going to look for Ralph. Had uh, Shepard says he's, he'll yeah he's going to make a clean breath rest of things, and he explains that he had realized um, after the murder that it looked bleak for for Ralph, and so we had found him and and kind of told him what had happened, like been the, been informed him and like kind of apologized about um, what had gone on with his stepfather's murder. And then Ralph had kind of told his story, how he'd been he had signed into a nursing home and had been like hiding out away from the public. So then Poirot makes a speech where he says that the murderer is in this room and that the murderer 
he knows who they are and he knows everything that happened and that the murderer should confess or come forward before tomorrow morning when the truth will go to the police. Yeah, I feel like it's a pretty dangerous. Yeah. Um, so Paros, I think Paros says that he's like, you'll notice the police aren't in the room. So, uh, so it's not I haven't Inspector told them Raglan. yet. Confirmed. <laughs> Confirmed. It's not Inspector Raglan. Okay, so that was that's all. That's like the big bombshells of information. Um, does that affect your guess in any way, or do you think no? You're you're probably still on the right track. Um. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that whole knife thing and the fact that his fingerprints were on the knife? I feel like that's an important detail that mm-hmm. isn't really involved in our current conclusion. I'm wondering if that could let Parker, who always serves drinks or something, like poison him and then later come around with all the sneaky stuff. But I don't really think it's Parker. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't think Mr. Blunt, sorry, Major Blunt had any financial gain from the death of Roger Ackroyd. I don't think he was in the will. However, Flora... He didn't get an inheritance from from Roger Ackroyd, but he'd inherited 20,000 pounds the year before, and we don't know who that was from. I still think it's Major Blunt. Just, I feel like he was involved in that whole previous shady blackmailing. And, but I guess, like, how would he know about this blue letter? He was playing pool with someone. Maybe that person was, like, mentioning just gossiping. Hmm. Yeah, Mr. Raymond, I don't think. Was Mr. Raymond involved in the mail or like listening in? I don't think so. But maybe Mr. Parker figured out about the blackmail. Maybe Mr. Parker was talking to Mr. Raymond. And then Mr. Raymond was like, while shooting pool, was like, oh, and there's this blackmail going on, which made Major Blunt really concerned due to his previous affairs and blackmail, which caused him to murder I feel like it's there's there's something there's this step we're missing. There's also the money that was stolen from the bedroom. I don't mm-hmm. think we've really uh Flora did steal it, but or wait, did she steal it or was it like there was a good reason why she was taking it? She she said she was taking the money to pay off small small debts. Like she'd owed money for things. Mm. I'm gonna stick with Major Blunt. Stick with Major Blunt. Also okay. just add some drama to this this reveal perfect okay okay so i i um i forgot to take notes on this last chapter so i've kind of been quickly reading through it to give you the best um experience for the reveal so so everyone everyone goes one of the last notes of paro saying the truth goes to inspector raglan in the morning so as everyone's leaving um paro kind of gestures to shepherd to stay back and he's there he's shepherd's puzzled by paro's you know, a uh, display as everyone is when Poirot does these things. And he's kind of going like, why, why give, why give the murderer time? Like, are you expect, is it something like you don't know who it is and you're expecting that you'll freak them out and they'll come forward. And Poirot's like, no, no, no. I, I know, I know everything, which is his, his favorite line. I know it all. And then he says, are, are you worried? Like, what if, do you think the murderer is going to try and like kill you and get rid of you? And so that's, and then the police are going to catch you. And he's like, no, I don't think they're going to do that. Um, he's basically telling, he's another one of his sentences is use your little gray cells. 
And so so pretentious. <laughs> basically, we get the sense that Poirot is giving the murderer time to leave this world on their own accord. He's saying there's no way, there's no way out of this. Like there's no way to freedom unless you take your own life. The, to the to the murderer. Uh, so that's that seems to be his point. Which is a little this is interesting on why, but we can get more into that later. So then he kind of says he'll walk Shepard through how he's like figured everything out. So the first thing was is the phone call. It always comes back to the phone call of why would the murderer make this phone call after the fact? And so Poirot thinks it has to, he's kind of narrowed it down himself to being a time thing. The murderer wanted to make sure that the, that the death was discovered the night of, not the next morning. So that's important. And then he comes to another point, which was the chair had been pulled out from the wall. Why was the chair pulled out? And so he's pointing out to Shepard that it was, um, the chair would block someone's view if someone came in through the door of the desk. You wouldn't be able to see what's on the desk. And so Poirot's thinking about that, and it kind of is tying in with, if someone needed it to be discovered on that night, maybe they wanted to remove something from the desk on the night of. And so then he comes to this idea of like how, like, like the dictaphone. Does Mr. Aykroyd have a dictaphone? None was found at his house, but it seems that he did purchase one from this, the dictaphone company. So he had one and it's not there anymore. And Poirot's kind of saying there's, you can dictate to a dictaphone and then it dictates back to you so if someone was able to like uh hook up the dictaphone so that it was on an alarm to play its recording at a specific time you could have someone could have left that on the desk and so he's suggesting that even though raymond heard roger Ackroyd's voice at 9 30 he's suggesting that Ackroyd was dead before then and that this was just this recording playing after the fact and so then he's saying so whoever Someone wanted to, someone wanted, needed the phone call, like they maybe needed an accomplice to call, to, um, to make the phone call so that the, the death was discovered that night so that they could remove the dictaphone and bring it away with them so that it wasn't found and like push back in the chair. So they're saying that was happened. And then they said, he's saying, then I had to think about those shoot the, the footprints. So he says that he'd asked Caroline to find out about the boot color, not because he wanted to know the color, he wanted to know did Ralph have boots? Because these, the prints we were talking about were his shoe prints. And so he finds out that he did have boots and he thinks that he was wearing the boots the night of and that the murderer had stolen the shoes to make the footprints. And then they had found the old pair of shoes, which is what they had used to ID the footprints. So who would have had access, had gone to the, uh, the three boars before the murder to get the shoes and bring them back to the house to be able to make these footprints? Um, and like, you know, coming through the window. And so he kind of says, you see what I'm driving at about who, who possibly kind of could have killed, who could have killed Roger Ackroyd. And Poirot says, all the facts leave to one, lead to one person, Dr. Shepard. Oh, wow. <laughs> huh? <It's> huge reveal. <laughs> so let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> What? Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe that's what was on the other side of that blue envelope. Okay, interesting. So, basically, exactly, yeah. So, 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 Doctor Shepard had been blackmailing Mrs. Ferraris, and so when he had discovered that she had killed herself, he's now 
freaked out did she tell anyone? Like, who now does he have to be worried about? Because he doesn't want to get in trouble himself, right? And so he's thinking it could be Ralph, it could be Roger. Like, remember how he said it? He, well, you probably don't remember. But the very beginning, he says that he had seen Mrs. Ferrars and, Ra- and Ralph together, having like talking together the day before. So that's him freaking out that Ralph knows something. And so he goes to Rogers with the idea that Roger might know something. And so that's why he is the one when he hears that the silver case has closed. It's the only one in the room when he takes the dagger. And so when Flora comes in later, she confirms that the dagger is no longer there. And that's because it isn't. Shepard has just taken it. And so when he goes into the room and that he he finds that Roger doesn't know anything. He doesn't know who who was blackmailing Mrs. Ferrars and he's confiding in Shepard this, but then the mail arrives and he knows that the name on the other side of that envelope is his own name. Mm. So he, he says that it's true that uh, Roger, Roger didn't, wasn't going to say it in front of him. So it just, he it kind of was saying, perfect. I can stab you on my way out. He unlocks the window so that he can get back in. He sets up the dictaphone to go off and moves the chair so that it covers it so that when, when they come into the room to discover the body, no one sees the dictaphone and he can take it back. Then he leaves through the front door saying goodbye to Parker, runs back around, puts on the shoes, climbs in through the window to frame Ralph and locks the door because remember the door was locked, which made it look like Ackroyd had locked the door. And he gets back out, runs home, makes himself an alibi with his sister at home while the dictaphone is speaking. He was just as shocked as anyone when Flora had said she had seen her uncle at 10, at 9.45, because he knew that can't be true, but he also couldn't say anything. So he'd done all that. Then the last thing was that um, he had seen that American sailor, which one of you pointed out at the at the beginning, had been one of his patients, um, a sailor that had left on a, sh- a steam liner the next day. So was at the train station. We don't, we didn't know this, but had gone, had been able to go to the train station all Shepard had to do was ask him to uh, ask him to call him that evening with whatever information, something made up so that he could get a telephone call from the train station. And then mm. all he had to do was say, like, because remember, this is it's not nothing's proven. We only have Shepard's word for the fact that he's saying there's been a murder. So he just tells Caroline that rushes to Fernley, tells Parker that he's gotten this phone call, but it never really happened. And so he he helps break down the door. Parker goes to call the police. He takes the dictaphone, puts it into his doctor's briefcase, pushes the chair back against the wall, and hopes no one noticed. So he's kind of saying, he then, um, because it's his story, he said that he was originally taking notes and writing this story because he thought it would be the one case that Poirot did not solve. But boy, was he wrong. <laughs> oh. Um, and so that's why he had he had never written about that he had hidden Ralph Patton, which is that's what Poirot was pointing out in his story that he had never given his own opinion because he he hid Ralph and never said anything because he did it on purpose to set up Ralph Patton. Huh. And he so he had the opportunity to go get the shoes. He had gone to visit Ralph at the Three Boars to kind of talk to him, uh, and he had gone afterwards as well to find Ralph. The other thing we knew about him. Um, and it seems that Poirot genuinely likes Caroline and feels bad that he doesn't want her to have to go through the scandal of having her brother go through trial. And so that's why he's giving him an opportunity to take his own way out. Which that's pretty you dark. can agree with or not. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I know. Okay. It, that's So this is why this is... <laughs> yeah, that's... 
and you skipped Shepard. I don't think you said his name. Oh, yeah, we started it. You did. I know. I I was thinking that at the time. I was like, well, yeah, they've given. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. It's so I I told you that this was the first Agatha Christie I ever read. And I knew that, you know, you're supposed to like, I was purposely trying to guess the most unlikely person. So at the beginning of the book, uh, Charlotte had already read it. And so she knew who had done it. And so at the beginning, I told her, I think it's going to be the the narrator. Like, it's going to be the narrator. And she had to, like, pretend that, she, well, maybe you'll find out. But by the end of the book, I had totally changed my guess. Like, I guessed so many different people at that point. So I didn't actually come out of the story guessing uh-huh. who it was. But I do, it sticks with me totally because it's the first one I read. And it's so crazy. Like, none of none of the other books are like this, right? Yeah, I... <laughs> I wanted yeah. Eric's reaction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah. Am I miss did I miss telling you guys anything? Is there anything you're still like reeling I don't think about? So. Um, huh. <laughs> so and to close up some loose ends, Ralph uh, no, sorry, uh, Major Blunt ends up proposing to Flora and she accepts so they get engaged. Okay. Um now Do Ralph Patton sorry? They followed their dreams. I <laughs> hear it. Um, Ralph Patton and uh, Ursula now have a whole bunch of money, so that shouldn't be a problem. Um, and uh, we don't really know what happens, but this this manuscript is basically written for the police as a confession and Shepard. I think he says he, he takes uh, an overdose of Aaron all the same way that Mrs. Ferreira had gone out. Hmm. Yep. And I, yeah, my gosh. It's just it's like yeah. speechless, right? <laughs> so I and he just was doing attended. all these jobs for him too. Like that must have been a hectic so few days. This is my first time re rereading the book, and as you're reading it and you know what's gonna happen, all of those tasks feel purposeful to get Shepard out of the way. Like when he sends him to go see Mrs. Foliat. While he's gone, Poirot is interviewing Caroline, and it's and he gets a bunch of information out of Caroline that um, Shepard didn't want to give Poirot, like mm. the conversation in the woods and stuff like that. So, uh, it's in, I just attended a book club, an Agatha Christie book club that talked about this book, and it's those kinds of things of like when you reread it, it's like, oh, is this? Did Poirot knew right from the beginning, and he was treating Shepard as the murderer? Uh, yeah. It's so crazy. That makes sense now, yeah. So that is The Murder of Roger Ackroyd by Christie. Yeah, that was really good. That was a a twist, but not in a way that was, like, obnoxious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming on. I think you had some good guesses. The running through all of the characters, I think that's a... Theoretically should be a good way of doing it if you include all of them. <laughs> if we do all the characters... Yeah, because none of them were the... Yeah. It wasn't them. So in a way, you were right. You were right. You can count that as a win. (laughs) Uh, But now, as as these twists come out right now, people, as you listen, people listen to the episodes that you can kind of know that you have to include, you have to include the the narrator or the, the, even the police officer, the maid, the whoever, whatever it goes on. Everyone's anyone. Anyone yeah. could be the murderer. Yeah. No, it's it's, it's ridiculous.
So if, if you uh, like the show and you want to get show updates or just other mystery book content, you can follow the show on Instagram, which is Tuesday Night Mystery Club. Um, there is also a Tuesday Night Mystery Club TikTok, but it's not very active. Um, but maybe it will be in the future. Who knows? The If you want to call, if you, yeah, for the, if you submit fan <laughs> art, I'll put it on TikTok. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to contact the show, you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can contact the show and on um, email it's tuesday night mystery club at gmail.com if you enjoy the show and you want to support it even further you can go on over to patreon.com slash tuesday night mystery club both um eric's had a character list that they were able to read through during this episode that you might have noticed and i think that makes it much much easier if you do want to follow along with the story to have the names in front of you and kind of a little short description about them are my current patrons are at the inspector gamash level we have shelly tsao at the uh, miss jane marple level we have michael borello debbie kravis barb mclean emily shilton alex young davies and sarah outhwaite so thank you all so much for supporting and helping uh pay for this show to be able to come out uh any final thoughts guys ned (laughs) yeah Yeah, ned Thank you for being worried about the show, but here we are on with a fantastic episode. I hope you listened to the end to get your shout out. Mm, This one was just for you. Uh, Eric and I were like, I just don't know. But then, you know, we heard about your story. (laughs) Yeah, the show, the show wouldn't have continued. But for this, this episode, this one's for Ned. Yeah. Um, And do you want to, who, which Eric's name should come first? Probably Eric. Yeah. Um. I feel like that's the only fair way. I don't have a I don't have a coin, but can I'll it be if my phone heads. comes up? Hey Siri, flip a coin. So it's not heads, I guess. Uh, sorry. Hey Siri, flip a coin. Flip yes. a coin. Oh, she no, she did it. Um, what did Eric call? Eric Gong, and it's tails. Woo! So okay, so Eric Gabonet's name appearing first. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Well, we might never know. You guys will have to come back on and we'll do it again. Pick another good story. Well, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, Thanks guys. And I hope uh, everyone at home had fun, too.